and welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, for our longtime listeners, you may recall all the way back at episode two, we had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Mark Ward about his new book entitled Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible, and it has been almost two years since the book was released, and also since that time, a documentary has been released uh, by the same title. Uh, Dr. Mark Ward uh, holds his PhD in New Testament interpretation from Bob Jones Seminary. He is an academic editor at Lexham Press, the author of multiple books, and an ultimate Frisbee player. He is also a friend, and we have the privilege of talking to him here again today. And by the way, just increasingly uh, thankful for the friendship uh, between us. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. And I'm going to introduce you (laughs) as the pastor who came and picked me up at the airport when um, my family had an emergency in Ohio, and I still really appreciate that. That's my claim. This is John Marino, everyone. (laughs) So, since uh, you're, this is the second time that you've been on our podcast, which means that you are our most frequent guest on Crossview Radio. So that's a real honor. (laughs) Well, again, I I uh, enjoyed uh, getting to know you. Uh, I know we've done a few things together. You've worked on some projects for us in terms of some of our website presence and things like that. Um, and just appreciate the times that we've had to get together. So um, looking forward to the conversation today here. Um, I wanted to start off, Mark, with maybe just for the benefit of someone who's new, just kind of uh, to just briefly summarize uh, what your book is about, uh, the premise of the book, uh, and, and the movie as well, because since we talked, that's been released. And maybe if you could include in that explanation what is your approach? How does that how does that differ from the way that most people are taking the approach to this topic? Uh, and, and I'm thinking particularly in the idea of the the manuscripts uh, with you going from primarily the English language. But maybe just uh, recap some of that and tell us what the book's about. Yeah, I'll fill out a little bit of the end. Your last question before going to the former mm-hmm. one. Most people like D.A. Carson, who's Mm -hmm. fantastic, and James White, whose Mm -hmm. book is excellent, when they encounter people who insist on the exclusive use of the King James Version and who also say consistently, as the mainstream King James-only folks do, that their real concern is preserving the the Textus Receptus Greek New Testament and the Masoretic Text of the Hebrew Old Testament, Uh, Carson and White and others. Others respond by engaging them on that ground, and that is 100% appropriate, Mm -hmm. and I have done it too uh, in various ways. I think it needs to be engaged, but for most people, lay people and pastors in that world, the people who prefer and use exclusively the King James Version, those debates are really hard to enter and frankly understand, not because they lack intelligence, but because these are arguments about documents written in languages that they don't read. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't read uh, Chinese. And if I had to make a decision, you know, about which manuscripts of Confucius's Analects are the right ones, you know, I'd 
I'd be stuck trusting an authority. Sure. And so I, I don't blame anybody that I disagree with here. You know, of course, I'm not King James only, but <clears throat> I don't blame my brothers and sisters in Christ who are for believing what trustworthy people have told them about the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts underlying the King James and their superiority. However, I think the part of the debate that is accessible to every English-speaking Christian, especially those who speak English as a first language, is the debate over the readability of the Elizabethan English of the King James Version. And that's where I wanted to focus, because my, my desire is to see people understand the Bible. And I started to realize over my many years as a King James reader, and I still do I still do read the King James and use it on occasion. Uh, I, I mean, I use it regularly. I, I don't read it very often, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I use many translations all the time. Um, but I've come to realize how often I was misunderstanding. I, even just the other day and the other day, people brought to my attention things that I didn't realize, realize I'd been misunderstanding for decades. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the angle I'm taking. I just want I, I assume other Christians want to understand the Bible like I do. And so I'm coming alongside them with a little linguistic nerdiness and saying, hey, you may not realize all the places where you're misunderstanding the King James through no fault of your own. You're not a dummy. And through no fault of the King James translators, just because English has changed in the last 400 plus years. Hmm. What about the uh, what about the movie then? Has that uh, venue um, given you a wider audience or more feedback, um, on that topic? I haven't heard much feedback on the movie. I've heard more on the book. Um, I do know that more people, about 2000 more people have watched the movie than have read the book, which is kind of what I anticipated. Um, I'd like to see the message go further. Uh, of course, I think mostly what I've heard is, uh, from people who've watched the movie is from friends who couldn't believe that I did what I did in the last scene. And uh, to know what that is, you might have to watch, unless you're one, you want to reveal the secret, John. I don't remember what you did in the last scene, because it's been months <laughs> since I've watched the movie. Totally fine. So everybody can be in suspense. I did watch it, though. I promise that. So I believe you. I just don't know what happened in the last scene. I can't remember. So You can reveal it if you want to. That's fine with me. No, I, I, I want people to watch it. I, I'll, put, <laughs> I'll say this. Um, there's a fight. And I used it. That's right. It. I rem- now I remember the fight scene. Okay. So there's a fight scene and I used it to illustrate people are taking this debate <laughs> too seriously. They're taking it too far. And we have all these great English Bible translations. Rather than fighting about them, let's use them. There are arguments worth having. Honestly, most of those arguments probably ought to stay in the academy. I don't mean to put down... Um, anybody, pastors or lay people who engage those arguments, not at all. I think mm-hmm. that's that's a good thing too. We want to be aware, dynamic versus formal equivalence. Um, those are good things. But um, and all those fights over the years, I mean, it's been my entire life that this fight has been going on. And before that, um, you know, I was always feeling like I have to take a side. I have to take a side. Mm-hmm. But then when I actually started picking up around, you know, 19 or 20, both kinds of translations, formal and functional, um, literal and dynamic is another way to put it. That's probably more common. Um, I started to realize I, you know, I don't, I kind of don't care who wins because I just want them both to win because mm-hmm. both of them are helping me understand. And if that's my real purpose, m- my sure. purpose here is not having all the right words. My purpose is understanding the words. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to be welcoming of 
any tool that sure. helps me, including all the good Bible translations we have. With with regard, uh, just as a side note, I was thinking of this, um, with regard to the movie, is that's available, if someone wants to watch that, um, that's available with a, a free trial, is that right, to Faith yeah. TV? faithlifetv.com, free okay. trial, just look for authorized. There's a lot of other great stuff on there too, I okay. must say, like the Fragments of Truth documentary. If you yeah. want to get into textual criticism, it's really mm-hmm. beautiful. They found a Greek calligrapher in the islands nearby here. It's like incredible. What she does is awesome. And the scholars on there talking about the ancient manuscripts of the Bible, the New mm-hmm. Testament are really fascinating. There's mm-hmm. also stuff for kids. The Torchlighter series from Vo- mm-hmm. Voice of the Martyrs is something my kids have really enjoyed. So there are a lot of better reasons than authorized to try a Faith Life TV subscription, but um, it is on there. Uh, let's shift here, shift gears a little bit here, and I want to talk to about maybe some of the response that you've gotten. So you've had almost two years here of email and uh, phone calls and various uh, conversations with people. Um, the as I'm thinking through this, I uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has a statement that always. Uh, rings in my head here. He says, desire is stronger than reason. And I think if I were to put that in another category, I could say that tribalism is stronger than reason. Um, Politics is a good example of that. So in that instance, my political party is always the right one. Uh, I don't ever question their motives. They've never done anything wrong. And the other political party, everything they do is wrong. Um, There's no sense of discernment, I guess. And uh, when it comes to this tribal loyalty, my question for you is, is the kind of feedback that you're getting uh, on this, is it, is it merely tribal loyalty or is there, is there something in there that's substantive that you can sink your teeth into that's, that makes for a good, solid discussion back and forth on it that you see? Well, I have a bad habit of questioning questions, and I would like to point out that everybody has a tribe, everybody has a tradition. It isn't necessarily wrong to be loyal to that tradition. Mm -hmm. So many people who've responded positively to my work, you know, no doubt are doing the same thing. You know, they're upholding the values of their tradition. They know we're against King James onlyism, and so whatever's against King James onlyism must be my friend. Um, I'd like to think, though, that what I'm hearing from people who are already on my side is that they understand better why they're there Mm -hmm. and they can reach out more effectively toward their King James only brothers and sisters. I have definitely heard that. And then among people who don't agree, I really have run into some wonderful, gracious King James only brothers. I can't say sisters. I just haven't run into them. Mm -hmm. I don't know that many women are reading the book, but many pastors from King James only circles have read the book. Mm -hmm. And when I hear from them, I'm usually pleased. I think though, what you want to know is opponents, you know, when they try to argue against what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. how much of it is substantive and that I have, I have changed my own practice um, on critiquing others by this experience, because what I realized is it takes a ton of love for Christ and for your enemy, whoever that is, Mm -hmm. to really listen to them and respond to what they actually said, rather than doing to them what Alan Jacobs describes in his book, how to think as in other words, in them, you know, they'll say, they'll say to me, in other words, you think 
you think people are, should be, um, you know, what's the word I want? You, you think people should be allowed to be lazy and not use a dictionary? And I say, no, I, I answered that. Um, in other words, you think that, um, you know, the, the textual uh, critical issues uh, don't matter at all. And I say, no, no, I didn't say that. So um, the, the number of people who disagree with me and actually listened is vanishingly small. There were a few, and it's been really hard to have the argument I want to have. People are especially over a certain age. I have to say this. This is true, and I want to take this as a lesson for myself too because I'm almost over that certain age myself. I got 11 months left till I'm 40. But they, um, they, it, it's almost like um, even the one guy I was talking to was really nice, a really nice godly man. I really believe he is. He just almost physically could not stay away from talking about textual criticism yeah. and talk only about English. It's like he could not disentangle those ideas in his mind, text and translation. That's what I've been getting a lot of. So what, what is your, what's your ideal argument? Um, if, if, if one of your opponents were to say this, then you would say, aha, now uh, I'm ready to engage this in, in a substantive way. Yeah, I've had two opponents who've done that really and and actually a third sort of friendly half opponent um, who's kind of done it too. That, I, that's a really neat story, really neat guy. <clears throat> he uh, actually sent me $50 when the book came out thanking me for being gracious and then $50 when the movie came out thanking me for being gracious. And he had some of the most helpful criticism that I've gotten and maybe we can talk about that later. But the two opponents who've really given what you're asking about, um, they they bothered to count uh, one, one of them bothered to count the false friends in Philippians. Okay. False friends are words that we think we know, but we don't really realize we're misunderstanding because of language change, not because we're dummies, not because the King James translators did anything wrong. And he counted up, I think 10 false friends in Philippians and said, Hey, that that's not much. We don't need to worry about that. And so I said, well, let me count. So I counted, I counted 19 just in the first chapter, let alone the book. And I said, even if it's just 10 in the whole book, well, let's extrapolate that. That's about 5,000 in the whole Bible. Is that, you know, is that enough to cause concern? Yeah. And I didn't get a reply. Um, and then the other opponent who did, and they were both, you know, straightforward and, and gracious. The other opponent, um, he does care more about text than translation, but he also certainly wants to preserve the King James Version. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, what I think is actually the most effective argument, counter argument against my argument. I actually included it in my book among my 10 objections. It was the last one. He said, um, yeah, this is a problem and it will become a worse problem, but it isn't a sufficient problem to cause alarm right now. And, uh, he also said, he also kind of picked out in a way that was actually really helpful for me, how I had defined false friends. I needed to refine that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I am grateful and I have listened to people who disagree, but really it's, it's down to those two who've actually kind of bothered to meet me on the ground that I asked my, you know, my brothers in Christ to meet me on. And only really one of those really and truly listened to the point where he countered the center, central element of my case. You know, it reminds me of one of the things that I read on your blog where you said, I don't want to score points. I want to score people. And I, I've seen that just over the last couple of years and some of the stories that you've shared and some of the things I've read that you've put out just in your interaction with people. Um, can you explain what that looks like practically? If you're out there to 
not score points and not say, aha, I won the argument, you lost. Um, how does that temper the way you interact with people um, when, you're, when you're engaging them in conversation? Well, let's, let's imagine that I said everything that I thought and that, and that everything I thought was true. Would that be the most important? Would, would that be the most effective way to reach people? So it is true, empirically true, that uh, you look out at the King James only uh, Bible college, and they have very few people who've studied Greek and Hebrew to any depth or any length. They do have some, they have very few. How does it help me if I say that truth? Mm-hmm. It only sounds like an insult. And I, I hope people who are listening to this are friendly and understand what I'm saying. And if, if people are unfriendly and listening, well, it is empirically true, and I can send you the stats. I actually went and looked them up. But I don't use that argument in public, as it were, because I recognize what are they supposed to say to that? You know, that it does, it does just sound like an insult. So among the, the many true things that I could say, I'm looking for the things that will be, will be most persuasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope that my opponents in whatever, you know, area it would be, would do the same thing. If, you know, I'm some kind of dispensationalist, probably a progressive dispensationalist. I, I can't bring myself to care a ton about that. I, you know, that's a longer discussion, but if I'm wrong and somebody is really concerned about me, I, I hope they would work to find mm-hmm. the arguments that are accessible to me and persuasive to me, you know, work to build on the things that we agree on in order to bring me to a shift. And that, that's what I'm doing too. So I, I'm, I'm assuming goodwill. I'm assuming that my opponents, people, you know, they're my brothers in Christ. I'm going to love them more in heaven then I do love my dearest and dear nearest and dearest. Now that's what John Newton said once. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, then I'm going to look for the good thing we agree on, which is we want to understand the Bible. Now, building on that value, how this common ground, you know, where can we move from here? I, that that I think is just loving your neighbor as yourself. It's it's doing unto others the way you wish your opponents would do to you if you were wrong. Yeah, I, I so much of the the debates and conversations today are just, um, not profitable, um, because there's not a lot of charity involved. You know, I think you have a rare gift of charitableness and conversations. And I, I really, I mean, the one example I think of is I was reading on your blog where, uh, someone had given a counter argument and you were prepared to recant a substantial part of your book, um, and ended up finding out that it wasn't what what um, what it seemed like it was, but um, just the fact that you were prepared to do that, um, and the fact that you value the truth more than winning an argument, I think is um, I think it goes a long way in in reaching people. What are you hoping to through all of this, through scoring people and not points, through being charitable in conversation, using the persuasive arguments? What what are you hoping to accomplish? with your audience. And maybe you could share it, the, the, the people who are King James only, and then maybe the people who aren't, uh, in, in equipping them in some way. But what do you want the end goal to be as you reach out to these people? All these great questions, John, I, you know, you live in this space that I live in. And so you share my values and you know, the best questions to ask. And you could answer all these questions just as well as I am. Let me point this out, podcast listening audience. <laughs> but 
since I get to be the guest rather than the host today, by the way, the Bible Study Magazine podcast is launching right now, and I'm the host. So ah. uh, one of these days, um, you might just get a call from me okay. asking you to come on my podcast. I, <laughs> I don't know much about anything, so you have to pick something easy for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, how about Pastoral Ministry in Orville slash Rittman, Ohio? <laughs> I That's think specific enough to... <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so let's talk about the King James Only folks, my brothers and sisters there. What do I want to accomplish? Well, I want them to recover the biblical and, less importantly, the Reformation value. We're recording this on Reformation Day of the the priesthood of the believer and the accessibility that that was supposed to bring, uh, you know, the, bringing the Word of God to people and particularly the plowboy. Mm-hmm. William Tyndall died to bring the— Bible to the plowboy. Erasmus, ironically enough, the the one who gave us the Textus Receptus, he said nearly exactly the same thing. He said, I want the farmer to be singing the Bible at his plow. Mm. And I, I want the same thing. And my brothers out there, they do affirm the same thing. And I believe they are sincere. Uh, I would not call them disingenuous here, but I don't think they see how they are letting that value slip away. And just as the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, so the price of vernacular translation is eternal vigilance. Good traditions can get encrusted with problems over time. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then with my with my brothers who already agree with me, sisters who already agree that the King James is not the only translation we should all use. Um, I hope that what I've done is given them some gracious tools to use to appeal to family members and friends and even those random people they run into online, as we all do, um, to, uh, to at the very least change the conversation. Um, I have definitely seen that if I am gracious, people are often gracious back to me. Usually they are. And the ones who really flame me you know, I don't, it, w- it wouldn't have mattered what the issue was or what I said. Um, they're going to flame me anyway. Yeah. But if I'm gracious, I get Christian people responding graciously, even when they disagree. I've seen this over and over again. Uh, and then um, I'm I'm changing the conversation. I've seen uh, examples of this today. Uh, one of the leaders in the kind of the world of pastors who graduated from King James only institutions, Josh Tice. I met him on the Grand Canyon trip I took this past summer. Mm-hmm. It was partly sponsored by Answers in Genesis. He wrote an article in which he's really pressing what what is essentially my case. You know, it's, others have made this case too. But um, and I see I see people using my talking points, and you know maybe they didn't get them from me, but I have some indication that they did. Mm-hmm. That's that's a gift that I'm trying to give to others, just sure. as so many others have done for me on countless other issues where they give, they've given me the talking points. They've really delved deep into it. That's what I'm trying to give. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, and it's, that's encouragement. I mean, your heart is for, for people and, um, you know, for them to understand the word. And I think that's, that's what we're all striving for. And I appreciate how you, how you start with that common ground as you interact with them. Um, before we, uh, close here today, I want to ask you, maybe this is a little shift in a different direction, but I want to ask you this question because it relates to understanding the false friends and understanding these ancient texts. Um, What do we do when we don't have a modern translation available 
of a book, not the Bible, but another book that was written in in older English. My example that I'm thinking of would be like a lot of the Puritan writings. So you have a lot of their writings right around the King James Version uh, in the 17th century. There are some uh, works where they have translated those into a more modern English, but not all of their resources. If somebody wants to read a work like that, um, and there's nothing available in modern English, how would you advise them to go about understanding and perceiving what's going on with the false friends idea in mind? I would just say give up. I think that Joel (laughs) Joel Osteen's books are cheaper anyway. (laughs) I like, I think reading books by dead guys is what we should be doing a lot more of. I'll say that. Well, I think the whole point of reading is to pad your totals on Goodreads. <laughs> so, I, you know, I encouraged my son to be a fourth grade dropout. I said, there's nothing in this education stuff. No, that's not what I say. That's all a joke. Okay, so um, I think one thing we can do with the Puritans, I mean, there's so many answers, and you, you kind of already answered it, but um, one of the things we can do is use this as a lesson those of us who grew up using the King James Version, um, when we read the Puritans, if we think, boy, yeah, that, that was kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the way modern people who haven't grown up on the King James Version often That's view the point. King James Version. So let that be a lesson to us. Yeah. Um, and then also let it help us understand what's going on here linguistically. Every language changes. It isn't Satan or the liberals who's, who, who are doing this mm-hmm. to our language. It's just what always, always happens. Writing, uh, uh, you know, is sort of like grass on a sandy hillside near the beach. It, it's an erosion control. Mm-hmm. It, um, but if we didn't have writing, once, once the last speaker forgot a word, it would be absolutely gone. Uh, so we're blessed to have dictionaries and writing. There's still much that can be gotten from the King James Version and the Puritans. But over time, this is going to continue to get worse and, and worse. Our language, our English is going to, going to move further and further away from the English of the Puritans and the Elizabethans sure. who put together the King James. So um, f- for those who want to go to the extra effort or who, or who are linguistically gifted and can kind of learn that dialect, like more power to you. There are so many riches there. And then here's what I'd say to you, help the rest of us, you know, why don't you, why don't you write an abridgment, a very faithful translation? I've done this Puritan, uh, piercing heaven prayers of the Puritans is coming out soon from Lexham. Uh, I edited it carefully and I was looking for false friends. Uh, it was somebody else who put it together, but that was my job. And I found false friends. I, I helped people understand, I hope by, by removing those and replacing them, by translating, basically. But, you know, we we don't moan over the loss of ancient stuff that's written in Latin. Uh, you know, that's the situation that's coming up with sure. the Puritans. Sure. I, you know, it's probably going to be a good while before we're there, but it's a, it's a progress. Yeah. yeah, that's helpful. Can you say, I think you cut out for just a second, can you say the name of the book again that you edited? Yeah, I I edited a book called Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans, and I was looking for the false friends in there. I was basically translating for a modern audience. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I, um, as a side note, I think we talked about this last time, but um, you mentioned the Oxford English Dictionary is a good dictionary to have on hand, which is incredibly expensive. But I was able to get through our library and uh, 
just free access to it online. Um, and so I will use that if I'm reading the Puritans or if I'm reading an older source like that. If I run across a word that I'm like, I don't know, I'll read it. And sure enough, it oftentimes means something different then than it meant now. So that's available too, I think, to most libraries. Yeah, I have that same thing. And maybe this is a good place to end. Uh, you were kind of wanting to land the plane, but here's a, a good <laughs> example. This is like almost terribly ironic and interesting to me, at least. This gets pretty nerdy, but I'll I'll try to I'll try to explain. Um, and this is very fresh. This is today. I got an email from the host of the History of English podcast named Kevin Stroud. Uh, I've been listening to his podcast for about I don't know three years now. It's absolutely nerdy, fantastic. <laughs> And um, he gives you the history of England while he is giving you the history of the English language. And we're in the 1300s now. Okay. And, uh, and I asked him, can you help me piece together this naughty bit, K-N-O-T-T-Y, of um, Elizabethan English, Psalm 37, 8b, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. It's a major example in my book and in the uh, documentary. And I thought... There's no way anybody can help me with this because I've already tried as hard as a human could. And and actually, I'm not absolutely certain yet that he's right, but I think he is right because I, this whole time, I have the whole concept of false friends, you know, really active in my mind, but I just assumed that the word fret meant worry. And he went to a Middle English dictionary that indicated that that might not be the case in, in, in this verse. Now I had gone to the OED and I went there again today. Um, and I think they, they had that very phrase, but, um, if, and they defined it the way I thought, you know, more like worry, but, um, if Kevin Stroud is right, then you can make sense of the phrase. And here I am, ironically, the king of false friends or the, the would be king. And I just didn't spot it. And he thinks fret meant like goad, um, it's like, don't goad yourself in any way to do evil. Okay. Prod goad. And yeah, so he, even when you're armed with this sure. concept, it doesn't mean you're going to spot every false friend. And it means you're going to miss little things here sure. and there. It's like little bits of static, shh, just kind of coming over your body. Bible reading. And I, you know, I don't want that for myself, for my children and for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So if somebody as nerdy as myself, uh, and all my friends who read the book and read that same example, none of them were able to help me. Uh, it, it took like one of the masters in the whole world that I know of, of the history of English to help me get through this thing. Um, this simple phrase that all the kids in, in my cabinet, Christian camp in 1999 memorized. Well, then you know, maybe we don't need to be putting that burden on the sure. plowboy. I think you mentioned that example in our last podcast and said, you know, if anyone, if any listeners know, call in, but I never got any calls, but you found, <laughs> hopefully found the answer to it. So yeah, neither did I. That was, this is finally someone came through for me. Hmm. Well, um, Mark, it's been good to have you on today. Do you want to add anything else? Uh, give a plug for uh, your work, where it can be found, website, any of that information? You know, I, I would ask listeners who cared enough to listen this long to just pray. Uh, I am still engaged actively in this discussion, and it's possible I'll be doing a debate 
in the coming weeks or months, mm-hmm. uh, probably just a video debate with the King James only leader. Are you allowed to And say that's is? not at all certain. I'm not because I don't want to put him in an awkward position, <laughs> but he has responded positively so far. I'm just okay. waiting for the details to yeah. kind of settle. And uh, it might not work out or it might, I don't know. I've had a really hard time getting leaders to engage with me publicly. Sure. And I understand, I, I understand why that is, but um, I want to graciously put some pressure on my brothers in that world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is the next step. So I, I need God's wisdom and sure. grace as, uh, as I enter into this. I don't want to cause more division than necessary. I, you know, I think it's, it's not me that's causing the division unless I'm rancorous and bitter. So mm-hmm. just pray that, pray that I won't be. Yeah. We'll be praying for you. And, uh, hopefully that'll materialize. I would love to, to see that debate, um, uh, work out. So thanks for being here today. Thank you. And thank you for your friendship, John. May the Lord bless your pastoral ministry. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.